This week is Parshas Ekev. And one of the themes of the many themes of this week's Parsha is the idea of blessings. Number one, the first time, in fact, the only time in the Torah that there is an actual commandment to do blessings is found in chapter 8, verse 10. You will eat, you will be satisfied, and you will bless Hashem, your God, for the land, the good land that he gave to you. There is an entire book of Talmud and of Mishnah called Brachos, Blessings, and it details the laws of blessings and the myriad details and minutia of all those laws. And the only mitzvah in the Torah where we see that the commandment to do blessings is in this week's Parsha. Uh, in addition, in chapter 10, verse 12, we read, Va'ata Yisrael, and now, O Israel, what does Hashem your God want from you? Only to fear God, to go in His ways, to love Him, to worship Hashem your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Says the Talmud, if you count the amount of letters in chapter 10, verse 12. How many letters are there in that verse? There's a hundred letters in that verse. Says the Talmud, that's a hint that what God wants from us every day, a hundred blessings. And while we only have one blessing of Torahitic origin that we say after uh, a bread meal, there is all kinds of blessings that are of rabbinic origin, and that would be able to make up those hun- the requisite hundred blessings. Uh, and if you look in a bencher or in a sitter, you'll see blessings for all kinds of things. So the most common blessings, of course, are the blessings we say before food. In fact, there's six different blessings for six different food categories. And therefore, before you eat anything or consume anything, provided it's not like a medicine, anything that you eat for sustenance or for nourishment or for drink, anything you eat, it will fall into one of these six categories of blessings. Therefore, you'll say the appropriate blessing for that. But of course, if you look at the prayer book, there's many blessings that we say in the prayer. In fact, the Shemona Esrei, alternatively known as the Amidah prayer, the reason why it's called 18 even though it's really 19. The reason why it's called 18, Shemona Esrei, 18 is because there's 18 blessings in that prayer. Uh, so if you multiply that to, times three a day, of course, you have 57 blessings plus the various blessings in the morning and afternoon. It turns out you say about 90 blessings every day, even if you don't, just through prayer. And then every time we go to the bathroom, we say a blessing. There are certain blessings you say on fragrances, on various natural phenomena. If you see a rainbow... You see lightning, you see thunder, you see a very beautiful person, you see a king, you see a very uh, unusual-looking person, all kinds of blessings that we say. So what I want to do today, because this is the week that we talk about blessings, I want to kind of dig into the idea of blessing. What is it trying to do to us? Of course, it, it should evoke some sort of theological dilemma or problem where we're giving all these blessings to God as if God needs those blessings. And it makes God sound very needy. And of course, the Jewish definition of God is that he needs nothing. So what's the idea of us giving God blessings? And 
also like this convergence of two worlds where we have all these things that we do on a physical plane. We're eating, we're drinking, we're going to the bathroom, etc. And suddenly we're bringing God into the picture. So I want to kind of go through some of the themes that we find uh, amongst the sages, amongst our teachers and the Talmud, etc. about the idea of blessings and how they could catapult our spiritual lives to the next level, upgrade our relationship with God. So I think the first idea, you know, I have in my right hand a small bottle of water. Water is the thing that we need after oxygen in the in the in the greatest uh, intervals, right? We need water every day or so, or else we really won't make it. Now, one of the things that the commentaries point out is the fact that our world has so much fresh water commensurate to the needs of humanity. You know, if water was scarce, I think about how much this tiny bottle of water that I'm holding in my hand, how much it would cost. People would pay everything. And we don't take it, we don't appreciate it, we don't have that requisite gratitude appreciation for it because there's so much. So when someone stops and says, okay, I'm going to make a blessing on this bottle, what they're actually doing is they're trying to flip their perspective from a perspective of selfishness and of entitlement and of assuming that everything that we have is here because of randomness and we're saying, no, 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 it's not here because of randomness, it's here because of God. And my grandfather used to always talk about this idea, like what is the first step towards spiritual greatness? The very first step is always going to be developing sensitivity to the world around us and trying to apply the lessons inwardly. The gravest danger of our life and the most peril that we could place our soul into is when we live mindlessly without contemplation, without noticing, without being aware of what it is that's happening here. And such a life really cannot, there's no room for meaning. There's no, certainly no room for a relationship with God. And the number one, the first, uh, I would say the point of departure of our study of blessings is going to be this idea that we're starting to notice. We're noticing the foods. We're noticing the fact that our digestive system and the plumbing works when you go to the bathroom. Of course, uh, we all know people that it's maybe doesn't always work so well. And old people, you know, old people, they, they, they suffer. And God forbid, and part of, part of the blow up, what is the blessing? We're talking about the, in, in the internal pipings that we have within us. You know, if someone has a heart attack, what is it? It's a pipe, which is so tiny, which for maybe 80, 90 years is working flawlessly. And then one thing goes wrong. There's a small minor traffic incident. There's some bottlenecking or rubbernecking or something like that. There's a little congestion. There's high volume, which you see literally in every street in America all the time. It happens once, the person could die. And it happens a billion times where things are great and things are smooth and we don't notice it. And every time we go to the bathroom, it's an opportunity for us to notice it, to stop and say, the only reason why I haven't died today is because God made a miracle hundreds and thousands of times. The very last words of the Psalms, chapter 150, Kol Hanishama Tehalel 
ka. Every soul should thank and bless and praise God. Hallelujah. Says the Talmud. I'll call nishima unishima to halalka. Every nishima, the word nishima sounds very similar to the word nishama. Nishama means soul. Nishima means breath. Every time you breathe, you have to thank God. Why? Because it's a miracle. What's happening? And this is basic biology. We learned it in fifth grade. You're bringing in the oxygen and you're sending it into your, your lungs and it's going into your blood and it's being pumped to your extremities. And God forbid if someone has a hair, a little baby has a hair tied around their finger, what happens? They could lose an organ. They could lose a finger. Why? Because it's going to f- stop the circulation. Every millisecond, God is orchestrating the fact that we're living by a miracle, constant miracles. That perspective connects man to God. But the problem is, is that by design, we take it for granted. We assume it always happens because it always does happen. And you know what happened, God forbid, when someone has a heart attack, God forbid? They say, where was God? How did God allow this to happen? And they don't realize how absurd that is. Of course, when bad things happen to us, we should ask, why did this happen to us? Why did God allow this, us to ha- this to happen? But zooming out, thank God we're all healthy. We have to ask the question, wait a minute, for 90 years or 60 years, you had no heart attacks. And you didn't for a second say, well, what does God have to do with that? One thing goes wrong, one minor hiccup in the grand scheme of things. And now you say, where's God? Blessings are given to us to avoid that fate by noticing God before he has to elbow us in the ribs and wake us up from our slumber. And therefore, again, this is another wrinkle in this point. It will allow us to sidestep some of the bad things that happen, at least from the Jewish eschatological, theological perspective, some of the bad things that happen to people when they don't notice God and God says, okay, I'm going to interpose. I'm going to get involved in a way that will make you question because I want you to have a connection with me. If it can't be in a very pleasant way, if it can't be through blessings, maybe it'll be through something else. So again, this is the first point. The objective of blessing, I would say the most important objective of blessing According to my grandfather, the first step towards living a more spiritually meaningful and aware life is blessings, specifically noticing what's happening to us, not taking things for granted, stopping, contemplating, being aware, being sensitive, and just maybe even once a day, maybe out of the hundred times, once a day, to have that little flicker, that little relationship that a blessing can create uh, between us and God. Reb Noah Weinberg used to always say that there's lots of side benefits of living a spiritually aware life. When you go to the uh, a, a restaurant and they have these delectable succulent steaks and some guy's really hungry. They don't even notice, doesn't even notice what they put before them. They just wolf it down. No, no, that's not how you have to do it. To appreciate even the physical world, you got to stop. You got to take the glass of wine and allow it to twirl and have the aerators, right? Living even in the physical, enjoying life, the physical world demands a certain degree of awareness, a certain degree of contemplation to be able to savor the subtleties and the nuances of the opportunities that we have in this world. So it helps us 
It helps us in advancing like our body's agenda to enjoy this world, but it utterly transforms our spiritual world. The first step of any pursuit of greatness is stopping to take things for granted, to realize that really we're entitled to nothing. Really we're entitled to nothing. This is a maybe a, a sentiment that's not so welcome in today's world. Uh, where the world is progressing towards more and more entitlement, where people are more and more depressed and sad, even though they have more than at any point in, ju- in, in human history. Uh, so the world is progressing away from this idea. But Judaism Torah believes that us, we deserve literally nothing. Everything that we have, every breath that we take is a gift from God. Every day, every hour, every minute that we have, everything is a gift. We, we don't deserve anything. Maybe with our behavior, we can deserve things. Maybe that's the realm of Olam Abba. But that's what a blessing is trying to make us remember. Everything that we have is a gift, and everything that we have is a way for us to foster a relationship with God. I think this idea really goes far. We know that Abraham, his most, at least his initial most major accomplishment, before he became a prophet, before he before God told him to go to the land of Israel, before God gave him all the promises, before God told him your nation is going to be a great nation, my nation, uh, he discovered God. And that was his uh, initial great accomplishment is the discovery of God. And some of the commentaries are trying to figure out, well, for us, maybe it's easier for us to discover God because, well, your parents gave you a little head start, your community gives you a head start, there's tradition to look back upon, Abraham, he discovers it on his own. And if you want to see a very riveting tale of that, I'd advise you to take a look at the beginning of the Laws of Idolatry, where the Rambam gives the whole backstory of Abraham, how he as a small child, a small, precocious, inquisitive, independent thinking child, he starts asking questions and eventually is able to deduce by dint of his intellect and pursuit of truth, that there's only one power and all the powers are coalesced and God's invisible and only God is worthy of our worship. And once he discovers that idea, well, he goes on to try to promote it and try to promulgate it and spread it out throughout the world. But what did Abraham, how did Abraham discover that idea? So I think this, again, extends to the principle that we see in blessings, that once you have the perspective of awareness, of not taking th- things for granted, of examining everything and not taking, and just assuming nothing, I always say that if you take a seed for an apple tree and try to eat it, you won't get very far. Well, so obviously, where does the fruit come from? It's not from the seed. It must be from the soil. So you try chewing the soil. And how did that work out for you? Not very well either. Yet somehow, you take the inedible seed and you put it in the inedible soil and something, and fruits come out of it. That, that's a miracle. Where did that fruit come from? The soil's inedible. The seed's inedible. There's some sort of godly spark. This is a miracle that we experience every day. And Abraham experienced that maybe that's how Abraham discovered God. You know, Rambam tells us that science, by definition, according to the Rambam's definition, is God's handiwork. Unlike the Christians that say, 
okay, let's try to study theology. In Judaism, we say, no, 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 we cannot possibly understand God himself, but God gave us his Torah, and God gave us his handiwork, i.e. science, i.e. the world around us, as ways to kind of understand him by proxy. You you see the beauty and the grandeur, the awesomeness and the intricacy of God's creation or of God's Torah, and right away you're able to understand God himself, or at least that's a way for you to understand God by proxy. So once we develop this attitude present in blessings, really to lead us towards developing our faith with our faith in God and deepening our existing faith by always noticing all the things around us. You know, the Chavetz Chaim would say, there's a mitzvah to love God. Well, when does that mitzvah apply? It applies every day. So if it applies every day, you have to do it. Well, when you have to do it, you have to do it before breakfast. Because how could you eat breakfast when you have a mitzvah obligation lying on your shoulder? So he says, before you go to eat breakfast, you have to find a way to have a touch point with love of God. And one of the ways he suggested to do that is by marveling and observing the world that God gave you and be appreciated to the degree where it creates a, an emotional response within you. And that's a mitzvah of love of, of loving God. And you have to do it every day, really, before breakfast. Again, I would say maybe you can fulfill that in the blessings before ble- breakfast, where you realize that literally everything you're eating is an absolute miracle. And if we tried to recreate it on our own, we couldn't do it. Uh, and just dwelling on that point, ruminating upon it on a serious way, again, assuming that assuming that you deserve nothing, that's a way to foster love of God. What do we say? What's the blessing? Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, which literally means God takes bread out of the ground. Now, of course, we know it's not bread out of the ground. It's wheat out of the ground that you have to grind into flour and bake into bread. But really, you're eating bread. Where did it come from? It came from the ground. Well, how did it get into the ground? You put inedible seed into inedible soil. How does that result in bread? That is what we're thanking God for, these miracles that we can't explain, but we see in front of us. And by noticing that, maybe that's why the blessing is using such stark terminology. God took bread out of the ground, miraculous. By by going through the exercise, we could connect ourselves to God. And if you're doing this 100 times a day, well, that's, what, 36,000 times a year? That really surrounds you with all kinds of opportunities to connect to God. And I want to add another point, and that is the Talmud says something very scary. This is from the Talmud in the book of Brachos, on page 35a on the bottom. The Talmud contrasts two verses in scripture, two very famous verses, I'll add. One verse says, Lahashem ha'aretz umeloa, which translates, to God belongs the land and all that fills it. So the land belongs to God. That's one verse. The second verse says, Hashamayim Shamayim Lashem, the heavens are for God, Vehaaretz, but the earth, Nasan Levnei Adam, he gave to humanity. So the first verse says that God owns everything, everything that's in the land. Second verse says, no, 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 we own the land. Which one is it? The scripture seems to be contradicting itself. Says the Talmud, when it says Lashem Arotzum Loa, when it says that to God belongs the land and all that fills it. That's referring to 
before a blessing, before someone makes a blessing on food. If you're holding food or drink, is this yours? It's not yours. It's Lashem or Tzumlo, blunts to God. Once you make a blessing, then it pivots over to the second verse, Hashemayim Shemayim Lashem, the heavens belong to God, the Haaretz, Nasan, Levnei Adam, but the land he gave to us, i.e., now we acquired the rights to take this food and enjoy it because God gave it to us, i.e., we bought it with the blessing. And the Talmud, right after the, on that same page, tells us if someone partakes in pleasures of this world without a blessing, it's as if they stole from God and they stole from the congregation of Israel. Rabbi Israel Salanter, the founder of the Muslim movement and the greatest Jew of the 19th century, he used to say that this world, it's like a really expensive hotel. You go to an expensive hotel, you check in, and you you want to drink, so you open up the the mini fridge, the mini bar. Wow, it's packed to the gills with all kinds of delicious stuff and food and drink. And so you just start partaking. And no one's charging you nothing. When you come to check out, they say, oh, that bottle of water, $8. That small little Jack Daniels, $28. Similar, says Rabbi Israel Salanter. This world, everything's free. You assume everything's free. But nothing's free. You get, you get to heaven, you don't have to give an accounting for everything that you partook in. However, there's the exception. Let's say I have an expense account from the business. This is a corporate card. I'm being sent as a representative of my company to go do official business. Or better yet, I'm the United States ambassador to um, Australia. What happens then? I go to the same hotel. And it's, again, stocked. And then I partake in it. I check out. They send the bill to the government. Says Rabbi Israel Salanter. That's the same thing. If we become ambassadors for God in this world, if we really fulfill the mission, the legacy, the destiny of the Jewish people, that we're going to be God's representatives in this world, we're going to be the quote-unquote embassy representing the interests of God on planet Earth, we could send our bills to him. And here we see this idea. That when someone makes a blessing, that's a form of payment. If they don't pay, well, then have to pay later on at exorbitant rates. But if they do pay in the form of a blessing, then, well, they acquired it. They acquired it. What belonged to God, but he gave it to us. Now we can partake in it, no problem. But the Talmud says, that in addition, the Talmud says that when someone partakes in this world without a blessing, they steal from God, but they also steal from the congregation of Israel. Why are you stealing from the people of Israel as well? So the commentaries explain is that a blessing is a connection between man and God, and the uh, i.e. between the community and God, between the nation and God, between humanity and God. And in essence, a blessing opens up a portal wherein the spiritual blessings and vitality can descend from God here. And thus, when I make a blessing, it benefits not only me, because of all the things that we spoke about and the fact that now I'm not stealing from God, but it also benefits the entire world and the entire Jewish nation because now there's another strong connection between our nation and God. When someone doesn't make a blessing, doesn't allow that connection to be developed, 
and therefore it's as if really they stole what was rightfully belonging to the Jewish people, another link, another bind between us and God. And I want to end with one crazy idea. And I think, again, this idea is suggesting that we have a misconception. And every time I say we have a misconception, people get defensive. But hear me out. If I were to ask the question, where in the world is God? The Talmud says I'm making a fundamental presupposition that is flawed. There's an assumption in my question that's wrong. What's the assumption? If you have, let's say, a box, inside the box you put something. You put, I don't know, your car keys, right? So there's the box, which is bigger, and the car keys go inside the box. If I were to ask where in the world is God, I'm saying the world is, is bigger than God, and God is in the world, so to speak. Says the Talmud, it's the opposite. The Talmud says that the world is not God's place, rather God is the world's place. Again, it's the exact opposite. The question is, where in God's world, so to speak, is our world? Yes, that, that, that's the question. But what this really is stating is that we assume everything is backwards. Everything, every, everything, all of our assumptions are inverted. Oh, hear me out here. What comes first, the world or Torah? So we say the Torah comes before the world. So what does that mean? It means it's not that the Torah was modeled after the existing world. It's the opposite. The world is modeled after the existing Torah. So for example, we have to honor our parents. Why do we have to honor our parents? Because, well, you know, we have parents and they did good things for us. And therefore we have to honor them. According to Torah, it's the opposite. The reason why we have parents is because there's a mitzvah. It's not that the reason why there's a mitzvah is because we have parents. Rather, it's the opposite. The reason why we have parents is because there's a mitzvah. God could have created a different universe where we don't have parents. But because the Torah says, honor your parents, therefore God created the world in the format that, that humanity has parents. That, that, that's, that's the idea. And everything is done in this world as a reflection of the mitzvah, not vice versa. Commentaries tell us something very surprising. We assume, again erroneously, we assume that, hey, we need to eat. But we can't just eat without thanking God. We just can't eat without making a blessing. Let's make a blessing. According to Jewish philosophy, it's the exact opposite. We need to make a blessing, and therefore, God created us with a need to eat. It's not like... The food is what's important and therefore comes along the blessing. Well, let's not leave God out of it. Let's make it also a spiritual experience. Let's also get God involved. Let's also make the blessing. It's the exact opposite. Again, God could have created a world where we don't need food. Just like you don't swap out your elbows every day and replace them with new ones. Obviously, that's ludicrous. I'm just saying something absurd. But that's not the world that God gives us. You're born with one set of elbows, and please God, you'll have them for the rest of your life working fine. But somehow, we need food every day, and we just assume it's normal. According to Torah, it's the opposite. It's not that that was fixed, and therefore we have to work within those fixed boundaries. No, the only thing that's fixed is God and the Torah, and the world was created to be reflective of that ideal. That's the only reason why we eat is because of the blessing. And again, this is a little bit of a hard thing to swallow because we're, again, our whole life is oriented in viewing those things 
and the other way around. Of course, you've, we've been eating every day, more or less, less than Yom Kippur, more on Purim. <laughs> but every day we've been eating for our whole lives. And so that, therefore, we assume that that part is fixed. But here, the, maybe the idea, it's a little bit hard for us to, to actually live by, but certainly it's something intriguing to think about. According to the sources, we would say is that the only reason why we need to eat is because of the blessing and not vice versa. So my my guidance or my hope uh, for all of us, myself included, uh, because this is the week that we have the mitzvahs, uh, A, the biblical mitzvah of you should eat, be satiated, bless God. And in addition, the hint that the Talmud of the Book of Menachos tells us that we're supposed to say 100 blessings of all kinds of varieties every day, Baruch Atah Hashem Elkeinu Melech Olam, all blessings begin with that prefix, Blessed are you Hashem, our God, King of the world. My hope is, is that we should take the next couple of days, at least once a day, to say a blessing, think about what we're saying, think about what we're implying, and use these incredible hundreds of opportunities, a hundred opportunities a day to create an everlasting bond between us and the Almighty.